goodness to us, Jesus. Praise you, God. Oh, we praise you, Jesus, for your presence. Hallelujah. That is certainly something to be thankful for. I know we're in the month of November. You know, I know we're coming up on Thanksgiving uh, this week, and our minds tend to naturally go towards that uh, attitude of gratitude and, you know, every day in November uh, doing a, uh, something you're thankful for, thinking about it, sharing it with someone. You know, we have an extra focus on that this time of year. And I just, you know, just so thankful for the presence of God. I know that we come to worship and gather and celebrate that every Sunday. And so it's not just a this Sunday thing. But the Lord is so faithful and the, you know, him speaking to us this uh, afternoon and I'm just thankful. It's the overflow of the presence of the Lord. There's more of that. We can have that in our daily lives. We can have that every Sunday. And I thank God that he shows up for us in that way and that we're able to respond to it. Thankful for that freedom. Uh, thank you for worshiping and being with us uh, today. You may be seated as I um, prepare for, I'm going to begin with my scripture text. But I did want to say hello to everyone. Our first time guests, I know you've already been greeted, but hello and welcome to those listening online. Hello and welcome. And I really do want, uh, on behalf of the church here, to extend a happy Thanksgiving to everyone this week. Um, if you're traveling, please be safe, but I hope it's a safe and happy holiday. Um, also remembering that there are those this year, every year, there's somebody, somebody's that experience loss. And so just remembering, you know, these are what make memories so precious to us. Thank God for memories. Thank God for pictures, you know. Thank God for stories that we can tell year after year after year. And so to those of you who this holiday maybe isn't as happy as other years, um, our prayers are with you. God is our Father, he's our comforter, and he is with us through all seasons and all things. Amen. So I do want to begin with my scripture. I'm going to be reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 5 through 10. And it reads, uh, this is Paul the Apostle speaking. I'm kind of coming in at the end of something, and he kind of responds to that something. So Paul says, that experience is worth boasting about. What he's talking about in a couple verses ahead of this one is that the, the not-so-perfect Paul the Apostle, truly what he wants to do in this moment is boast about an experience he's had about seeing the heavens that he describes in the verses, ahead, uh, verses before this. But he says, I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weakness. If I bo wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such, a won such wonderful revelations from God, so he's speaking about that. He's like, I really want to boast about what I saw and what you all didn't see. But he's holding back. And he says, so to keep me from becoming proud, 
I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then am I am strong. May I have my pictures of armor? I have a couple of visuals for us. Do you have one of a full suit or close to it? Next one, next one. That's fine. We can go back to the first one. So we've got, uh, I've got some pictures of armor here. The old-fashioned kind, you know, the King Arthur, you know, medieval uh, things we think of when we think of armor. And you can see from this picture here that armor's pretty solid, made of metal or something like that, iron. I don't know what they used back then, but... Um, and you can see that, you know, this is kind of a glimpse of just the torso, but we know what armor looks like, a knight looks like. There's a covered head, you know, sometimes something pointy on top. Okay, there we go. There's, uh, you know, from uh, your head all the way down to your feet and your legs, you are covered in uh, metal. You're covered, covered in this solid, seemingly indestructible material. And, um, you know, if we look at, uh, can we go back to the one of just the kind of the torso? If we look at a close-up here, you can see in the armor that um, there's little areas, of course, where, where the, the headpiece there kind of sits. There's some little areas, like a, little gaps. And then where the, the pieces of the shoulders fall, there's some, you know, you got to get your, like my vest here. Oh, that was, this was really, I didn't plan this, but, you know, this vest here, you got to have places for your arms to go through. It's kind of how armor sat, you know, the breastplate here, and there's some, you know, gaps here between here and here, and you got your shoulders covered, comes down to the elbow. Elbow's got to be able to move, so you see that there's some pieces that come, and they're kind of connecting, but in order to connect, there has to be some spaces in there, you know, here, here, and around. So we can see that, that how this armor is constructed. It looks so strong. It looks so indestructible. And um, we can see the pictures of uh, the men fighting, the knights fighting, that, uh, you know, you used uh, to fight, you used pointy things, with swords or um, the spears, things like that. And they had, you know, spears have little narrow tops. And swords go down to a little point. Anybody own a sword? I should, next time I preach something like this, okay? I'm, oh, wow, wow, so many hands are going up. We also, you guys should sit towards the back and bring those to church just in case. No, but um, I'll know next time. Should have reached out, get some swords up here. Wouldn't that be cool if there's just swords? Everybody was like, what's that about? Um, but, you know, swords, so they come, what I'm talking about is these small pieces, these small ends, points, that these uh, weaponry, are shaped and formed as because the armor, when people were fighting, the armor had, you know, had these places. They knew of these vulnerable places, these kind of weak spots. And they were called uh, chinks in the armor. 
all armor has chinks as a part of its design. By design, armor has chinks. And in a figurative sense, we as human beings also have chinks in our armor. Okay, this is where we get the phrase, chinks in one's armor. Anybody ever heard of that? Chinks in, oh, what are the chinks in your armor? What are they? And so this, this phrase, chinks in one's armor, dates back to the mid-17th century, or somewhere around there. It's based on the definition of uh, a chink, which means a crack or a gap. So I'm talking about the little gaps that appear in armor, but you know, you can that can be a piece of uh, wall, any type of surface. Um, can have little chinks in it, and you know you see light kind of coming through, and wood or uh, plaster and walls or things like that. But this is specific today to the uh, chinks in an, an armor, and so that phrase comes uh, dates back to the 1400s. This phrase of the the word chink to to talk about um, gaps and surfaces, and. <clears throat> So this chinks in one's armor, we're speaking, of course, of this as figuratively today, and it refers to these weak spots or these vulnerabilities uh, in an individual. A modern-day equivalent, you know, if you haven't heard of the saying, chinks in one's armor or chink in your armor, a modern-day equivalent is kind of talking about someone's Achilles heel, that weak spot. You know, what's, what's their vulnerability? What's those weak spots? Um, can, can refer to things like character flaws as well. And these chinks or these weaknesses, they're a part of us being human. They're a part of the human condition, just as they are in the, the heavy armor we just saw in those pictures. They're a part of our human condition. Now, I wouldn't say that it's by design that we are to have chinks in our armor. We know from the first couple chapters of Genesis that God created human beings in his image, flawless and perfect. That was the intention. But sin entered the world uh, in Genesis chapter 3 is where uh, we read about that. And ever since there, humanity's just been flawed. That's a real nice summation of the Bible. Uh, so... There you have it. Uh, but, and no one's been perfect ever since. No one's been flawless ever since, except for Jesus Christ. Um, but someday, we will be perfect again, like our creator intended us to be, when we see him in glory. And the scriptures talk about that being our hope. Amen. So, to expect that we don't have weaknesses in our character, in, in, our, in our beings, is a false expectation because all of humanity is flawed. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're flawed. Now, I know some of you ladies might think you have flawless hair today, but I'm sorry you're flawed. Even with your flawless outfit, dressed to the nine, some of, some of you guys, some of you gals, okay, I know sometimes we can feel flawless, but... We just told each other the truth, we're flawed. Not something we really like to sit and chat about or get together and talk about over coffee. Um, but, you know, we have trouble. I mean, I think it's, it's okay for me to say that most of us would say, we have trouble 
admitting our weaknesses, admitting our, that we have flaws. But, you know, we don't have trouble pointing it out in other people. And the scriptures do talk about that. So, and I'm included. I'm not looking at you saying, all saying, look at you. You guys pointed out in other people. No, I'm one of those two. I get it. And the scriptures talk about how, you know, you're speaking about a, is it a moat in one eye and you've got a splinter or a splinter in one eye, you've got a moat in your own. So Jesus always knows what we need to hear and be, stays real with us. But um, because like armor, our flaws, our weaknesses uh, mean that, you know, we're vulnerable. That means we have vulnerabilities. We don't like that either. And this means that certain areas in us, that means they're more open to attack. We saw those uh, uh, men fighting in the pictures with the spear. The, your opponent knows because they wear the armor too. They know where the places of weakness are, and that's where they're going to aim for the attack. And so we don't like admitting and knowing that we have vulnerabilities, because then that means there are areas that can be open to attack. Now, our idea is a society about human weakness, whatever it is, physical, mental, moral, the whole, the whole spectrum of it, is that weakness is weak. And so to be perceived as weak by either yourself, of yourself, or by others, is negative. That's a negative thing, don't want it. And so we do things like lie, hide, and even, you know, deny our weaknesses so that no one, including ourselves, you know, thinks that we're weak. And we don't want to think we're weak. We don't want them to think we're weak. Because the good old American, you know, uh, uh, images of strength and being thick-skinned, pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps, and not saying that can't be motivation used in a positive way, but oftentimes it just becomes this facade so that we're perceived as anything but weak. And I think most of us, you know, can think of uh, family members, you know, maybe some stories that float around your family of, um, you know, or secrets that you know of that have emerged because there were weaknesses uh, that somebody tried real hard to hide and keep for their lifetime and ended up surfacing, you know, maybe uh, after death type thing. Because for so long, uh, it's been in our, you know, in our culture, to expose vulnerabilities is, and admit to them, is considered weak. But if we aren't aware that we have weaknesses, then we truly can be taken advantage of and attacked by the enemy of our souls. That's no uh, secret. But not only the enemy of our souls, but because, you know, he gets a lot of attention, you know, and he does attack. We, we, the Bible talks about how he is a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, that's the enemy's job. The enemy walks around looking for vulnerabilities, weak spots in us that he can get us and keep us down and turn us from, uh, you know, the ways of God and make us believe the lies of the devil. But he certainly gets a lot of attention. But because sometimes these vulnerable places are attacked by others. We're talking about family members. We're talking about friends. Sometimes these vulnerable places, vulnerable places, we attack ourselves. We're the ones keeping ourselves in that down. We're the ones looking at ourselves that way. And so there's different uh, enemies, I'll, I'll say it in that way, that 
can attack these vulnerable places. And uh, we need to be willing to accept, you know, our, our weaknesses because at some point, this belief that we're strong, not weak, that, you know, I'm thick-skinned and you, nobody can get through it, the enemy can't, you know, it's going to break down. And if there's no awareness, no honesty of the chinks in our armor, if I can use that today uh, in this message, then what is there left to offer and surrender to God? You know, these chinks are necessary. They're not only necessary, uh, but they have a purpose. And we read that in the scripture that we read about Paul. No armor... Okay, I'm talking about the real armor, that kind of armor. No armor is made perfectly without gaps, without spaces, without points of vulnerability, okay? You can't fight an opponent if you're in a sheer cast of metal. You just stand there and take the blows. That's about all you can do, okay? So these chinks in the armor, they're necessary, okay? They have to be there. There's a purpose for them. And, uh, you know, because I was thinking about it, you know, the, the, these knights that, that, you know, fought one another, you know, went to these uh, duels or whatever they called them, and, and they fought one another, uh, they, they didn't need a flawless suit of armor to have a victory. And so we need to have this same mindset in Christ, that our weaknesses these vulnerable areas within us, because we're human beings. We are, it is the human condition, we're broken people in a broken world. And our weakness is necessary. Paul's teaching us that in this passage of scripture. What, for what? What is our weakness you know, necessary for? For God's purpose in our lives and in our world. And we are invited, remember this is an invitation, God doesn't need us right? This is an invitation. We are invited to be a part of the mission of Christ in this world. Amen. And I think that's amazing. I think that's something to be thankful for. And we don't have to be perfect. God knows that. We got to catch up to what God knows. We don't have to be perfect. The invitation's been extended to us when we were yet sinners. Amen. And God makes us perfect. It's a work that he is doing in us. And our efforts will fail uh, because the Lord does the work. And so we don't need to be perfect to see God's power move in and through our lives or in through the world around us. Because just like Brother Moss preached last week, he preached about what was the deal. Well, this was never part of the deal. We don't have to be strong in and of ourselves. We don't have to be perfect. That was never the deal. In fact, God's power, the scripture told us, is mighty in our weakness. So our weakness is necessary to God. I know that's counterintuitive. Weakness is never thought of as a positive, as a tool. We don't hear that. We always talk about conquering it. Now, I know God conquers sin. I know God helps us conquer things in our lives. I'm not talking about that uh, necessarily. But, he, uh, you know, our society just doesn't talk about weakness as a necessity. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to, you know, be strong. You've got to, you know, that's the message. 
So thankfully, Paul recorded for us here in our scripture verse in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, what God's response is to our weakness. Not society's response, not our own flawed ideas, not the enemy's response to our weakness. He, he records here God's response and says in verse 9, each time he, speaking of God, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Can we say that together? My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And that's God's response to our weakness. My grace is all you need. Now, afflictions can be caused by the enemy, the world around us, even ourselves. But in this case, in Paul's case here, and in the case of Job, anybody know about the Old Testament character Job? Nobody wants to read about Job. Nobody wants Job's life, but he's in the Bible. And Paul is kind of like a Job, in a sense, in the New Testament. So Paul's affliction, the scripture tells us, was God's answer to his weakness. This wanting to boast, this pride. Anybody got issues with pride? I shouldn't say issues. That's a that's a, usually, oh, thank you, Colden. We have a very honest young man over here. But yeah, I do. I, it's, I think a lot of us do. And God's answer to Paul was this affliction. Paul called it a thorn in my flesh. And scholars don't really know, you know, what was his affliction? What was this thorn in the flesh? Scholars can't really, you know, we can't really know that from what we're provided in Scripture. But they, they can only speculate what it could have been. But the point is that God had a purpose for it. And like Job, God allowed it. And we don't like that. We don't like suffering. Suffering doesn't fit into our theology about a good God, who a good God is. But that's the sovereignty of God. And what we fail to realize, I fail to realize as well, is the enemy also has a purpose and a plan for your weakness too. To exploit it. His plan is to destroy you. And uh, you know, the, the, uh, already referenced that scripture that the devil goes around his day job, night job, all the time job, is to go and seek who he, whom he can devour and to destroy and who he can attack. And so that's his purpose, to attack and destroy. But we're reading here, even though we don't like the way it came, Paul didn't like the way it came, but we're reading here God's purpose and plan for your weakness and the weaknesses that we all have as human beings is for your good. It's for his power to be shown in your life and in this world. Not only did he allow Paul's affliction, but Paul reveals to us that this affliction that he would have rather not had produced something in him. It produced the humility in him, something good. I don't think that's the enemy's plan, is it? No, it's not. So, like Paul in the New Testament, like Job in the Old Testament, their stories remind us that there's purpose 
in these afflictions. There's purpose in your pain. There's purpose for your weakness. I mean, I hope we believe that there's purpose in their afflictions when we read their stories. I hope that's something we read out of this. I hope that's something we're seeing in the scripture today about Paul as we're reading it. Because that's the whole lesson of their story. Nobody's praying and like, Lord, Lord, give me a thorn like Paul had a thorn. No, we're, that, these, there are scriptures that we read stories and we say, Lord, make me strong like, you know, Daniel. Make me strong like, okay, but we're not praying like that in this. What we're taking from this is to see God's response and that there is purpose in our pain. There's purpose in our weakness. And we can know that. We can know there's purpose for me and for you. And that all works for the good, who knows that scripture, uh, in Christ, to them who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. Because of stories like this, these, we know that nothing is wasted in vain when we are in Christ. And God's power works through these gaps in our character like a light that shines through gaps in broken spaces, broken places, and broken armor, God won't take advantage of your vulnerabilities. In our weakness, the scripture says he is strong and that his grace is all that we need. And that's something to be thankful for today. Amen. You know, we read that Paul pleaded with God. You know, scriptures say he prayed with God three times to take away what he called this thorn in his side. And, um, you know, that, that, that's what I would do. I was thinking, I had read somewhere that Paul, or maybe it's in the scriptures just ahead. I can't remember. I think it might be in the scriptures just ahead or the chapter ahead or something. That um, this thorn in Paul's side, he had dealt with this for a decade at least, maybe longer. He had dealt with this pain, and I said, I'm like, he prayed three times? I think I'd pray three times a day over 10 years. How many times is that? I'm like, he, three, this, okay, wow. So I think he did pretty good, actually. Good job, Paul. Uh, I, I, I would have needed to pray a lot more than that. Uh, but, you know, he, Peter's <laughs> just laughing at that. Oh man, okay, good, okay. But Paul, as I mentioned, you know, as myself and many of us, Paul was full of pride. And so he wanted, what he really wanted to do was boast all over the place about his experience seeing the heavens. Just a few chapters later in 2 Corinthians, Paul is having, he's struggling again when he starts boasting. I think it's about his um, heritage, you know, Jewish heritage. And he starts boasting and, oh, 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 oh here I go boasting. You know, it's a, it's a process, people. It's a process. But uh, Paul fell short, and we do too. And, um, but this affliction in his side was deeply, we know that it was deeply painful for Paul. Um, the Greek word uh, in this passage of scripture when it says the thorn in his flesh or the thorn in his side, the Greek word isn't referring to like a little thorn on a rose bush. Okay, the little ones that oop, just prick you and draw a little blood and you know, you smell it anyway because it wasn't that bad. Uh, you know, it's not what it's referring to. It the, the thorn in the Greek word uh, is translated as a wooden point 
like a pail or a stake. That's a S-T-A-K-E, not S-T-E-A-K. Okay, a stake, a pail, P-A-L-E, as in the word impaled, okay? So that's no rosebush thorn size, okay? And, and, and that word impaled makes me think of, anybody ever play Mortal Kombat back in the day? Come on, Mar, I knew it. I knew it, Erica, I knew it. The game Mortal Kombat, where if your character doesn't win, they flung off the side of something and down, and there was just this area on the bottom of your screen, and it looked like this, and the characters impaled their body. Gross. So that's the, that's the depth of the pain that Paul is talking about, that this thorn in his side, this affliction, that God allowed uh, in his life caused him for years and years and years and years. I only ever got to play that game if I gave my brother my Sunday school candy. <sighs> he always took the best stuff, too. But it was his gaming system, apparently, but, you know. Anyway, so um, Paul desperately wanted God to remove this thorn from his side because it caused him that much pain. And, um, you know, I get it now because... Until I imagine the depth of what Paul's pain, you know, uh, would have been in this passage, I thought, I kind of always felt it just seemed a little bit unmerciful, maybe a lot of it, you know, unmerciful of God, unkind of God, to if not, you know, can you lessen it? Can you heal him? You know, can you remove this source of pain? But in light of this, you know, thinking about what this thorn in his side meant for him the pain that it caused, I I realize that God's response is that much more merciful. Because as deep as that pain went, Paul's intention was not to highlight in this passage the depth of his pain, but instead to draw our attention to the depths of God's grace. Amen. Yes, his pain was great, but God's great grace was greater. And I know that we think of God's grace covering all sin, and it does. But God's grace is sufficient for the, the weaknesses in our lives, for the daily hurts, for the afflictions in our lives. God's grace covers our deep, deep, deep pain. I know there's several Psalms that talk about the depth to where the Lord meets us. And he is there. So his grace is more than enough. And Paul, you know, had to learn that. He had to kind of change his mind about what this weakness meant and understand that God was enough for him, even in this deep pain. And I just want to grasp that in my life. Amen. Can we just thank God for his grace? Jesus, we're just so thankful, Lord, for your grace, God. It covers all. Lord, it meets us in the depth, Lord, of our pain. And it, Jesus, we, I just pray that we can grasp, Lord, that your grace is enough. Amen. Because that's the deal. That's the deal when we are in Christ. That's the deal when we live for the Lord. That's the deal when we turn our lives over to him, is that he is enough. He's enough in all ways. We either will boast of our own strength. You know, everything that you have is God-given, whether you believe in God or not. So either you're going to use your strength, you know, or boast in your strength, you know, in a, in a, uh, your, in a selfish way, 
because of the gifts God has given you, or you're going to boast because of the power of God and the God-given gifts that God has given you and give God the glory. Through our weaknesses, God is our strength. And Paul learned that his uh, weakness produced this humility in him that kept him, or he tried to keep him, humble before God. We don't do these things perfectly throughout life, but God is there to forgive us and say, let's start again. Let's start again. And we thank God for that each time that we ask him to help us and to humble us one more time. God will never say no. He'll always work with us in our process of salvation. And so what lessons, you know, are we learning from our weaknesses? Or is that even our goal? You know, do we want to just get rid of it like Paul initially did? And this isn't a, oh, do you just want to get rid of it? Shame on you. No, I understand. I would, I would have prayed the same way Paul, would, Paul prayed and asked God to take it. But do we just want to get rid of them? Do we just want to act like they're not there? Do we just want to continue lying to ourselves and to others uh, and try to put on this facade of strength that will break down anyway? Um, but, you know, I, I, I thought about this psalm. Um, it's a whole chapter, so I'm not going to read from it uh, right now, but you might want to make that some homework this week. Go home and read Psalm chapter 139 because it talks about how God formed us, you know, in our mother's womb, and he always had a plan for us. Don't we know that God knows that we are created in weakness? We are created with weaknesses, I mean, and he, he had a plan for us. The scriptures tell us that. He had a plan for us in our mother's womb. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God has always had a plan for you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly all your weaknesses, and yet God's always had a plan for you and your life. Amen. We all have chinks in our armor. Can I, oh, title slide is up. <laughs> it was in my notes, title slide, comma, please. Uh, but it's already up, so thank you. So here's our question for today. What are the chinks in your armor? Most of us believe, and at least we want to believe, that our strength can be found, you know, we can draw it out of ourselves. Anybody continue to draw, try to draw strength out of yourself in the, in the you know, well, so to speak, comes up dry? You know, the irony is, is that this belief puts you in a position of the vulnerability you're trying to avoid, that we're trying to avoid. So Paul said, our strength is found in the Lord, this is what he learned, for he is made strong in our weaknesses. How does that even work? It just doesn't even make sense. But I don't know, and Paul didn't quite know either, at least he didn't tell us, but he knew it to be true. Amen. Anybody know that to be true? Because of the power of God, how he worked through Paul in his lifetime. Amen. We all have chinks in our armor. And I don't expect, you know, that, that this type of question and, and thinking about it is going to be all worked out today. This is kind of a take-home assignment. It's something to chew on. Because Paul had trouble with this humility, 
you know, even after this revelation that he received from God, he had trouble with keeping himself humble, setting aside the pride. So it's a lifelong act of reflection and commitment and surrender to the Lord. I'm grateful that the Lord allows it to be a process. Amen. And, you know, I'm still chewing on this question personally. I was uh, first asked this to my, you know, memory, uh, the question by my pastor in St. Louis when I was uh, an intern at his church and years ago. And honestly, it kind of took me by surprise. We were in a meeting. You know, I had to have scheduled meetings. You have to sit down. You have to check mark off that you met with your, you know, um, mentor, and so to speak. And, you know, I had to present it, you know, in my classroom and all of that. So it was just one of our regular scheduled meetings. And I was kind of, you know, taken by surprise because um, I didn't expect this meeting to, to start off with this question. And, you know... I expected it more to go, hey, let, you know, let's sit down and let's talk about, you know, let's talk about some of the areas of uh, interest here and um, what are some strengths that you believe that you bring to, the, uh, to us as, you know, a body, as a church, you know, that type of thing. I was all prepared to talk about all of that. But instead I was asked, hey, Meg, what are the chinks in your armor? And I was like, uh, I looked unprepared, which is a chink in my armor. And I was like, no, I'm prepared. Any, any other questions today? No. no. And so he just smiled like he, he would do, and, and he just said, oh, you got some homework to do. Well, I'm still working on it. I think that was 15 years ago. And so, you know, this is not a question that gets solved, and, and, but it's something to get us thinking, and it's something, hopefully, for us to uh, begin to understand Paul's words here, because the, the Bible and the scriptures are, is a living text. It's a living word. We're not only looking at the story, oh, isn't that so great for Paul? He figured it out. That was a good book. Uh, I'm going to return it to the library, done with that one. No, it's a living text. This is a text where we also understand that when the Lord is saying to Paul, my grace is sufficient, my grace is enough for you, that that's exactly what the Lord is speaking to us when we read it and the word works on us and the word encourages us and challenges us. And uh, Paul hopefully would be pleased that we are looking at his words and trying to learn something from it. Uh, nothing's done in vain in Christ. Nothing is wasted. And so, um, in closing, you know, I, I, I was thinking about a question that not this past chosen series, but the one before. In our small groups, there was a question, and it was just one of those that, like, I was hoping our group wouldn't talk about. But, of course, somebody went to it, and it was just like, no. So, but it was the question, uh, what do you need to give up fully to live for God? Again, not really a question you can just think about and answer and be like done with it. These are things that we think about and we chew on and we pray about and we you know, reflect on. And so uh, this question I thought about when I was preparing for today, uh, because it kind of gets to the same, you know, kind of gets to a, a similar point which is, you know, if you'll allow me, I wanted to kind of offer a communal response for us as the body of Christ. 
What do we need to give up to fully live for God? I think everyone here today is a human being. Is anybody not a human being? I know that, okay, Scott thinks he's part something else. Well, can we meet about that after church? We got some other scriptures for you about that. But, uh, but I know we have the little robots that are going around the hospitals now, as Sister Regina posted. So maybe if, what's her name? Was it Moxie? Wait. Yeah, if Moxie was here today, she would be exempt. Um, but we're all human. And so uh, we all have chinks in our armor. We're all flawed. We all have weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And so what do we need to give up to fully live for God? As a communal response, I was hoping I'd be able to um, present uh, giving up our idea of weakness. Uh, giving up and surrendering that to the Lord and realizing that these weaknesses, although not intended as God's design, that God deals with us in our uh, condition as we are as broken human beings. He's working on making us perfect and presentable again for him uh, in eternity when we meet him face to face. That That won't happen in this life. And so God knows who he's dealing with, who he's working with. And if we could respond as a body and give our weaknesses to the Lord and say, if you can be enough for Paul and Job, you can be enough for me in my, the thorn in my flesh, uh, the afflictions in my life, the pain. And give the vulnerabilities over because God's not going to do, he's not going to harm you. I can't guarantee that with, I can guarantee that the enemy will harm you, the enemy of our souls. I can't guarantee you that your friends and family won't uh, at some point harm you and attack you because of your weaknesses and vulnerabilities that we all have. Can't guarantee that. Can't guarantee that you won't continue to harm yourself, throw spears at yourself. But I can guarantee you the Lord's not going to take advantage. He's not going to exploit. He's not going to harm. He's not going to do that to us because There's purpose in your pain. There's purpose in your afflictions. And it's for the glory of God and for your good. Amen. If we can stand, let's just go ahead and and respond as a body. You can respond individually if there is something you want to present to the Lord. But Lord, I pray that as a body, we can submit. We can surrender. That's the word I'm looking for. Surrender our weaknesses to you, Lord. God, you told Paul, it doesn't matter. Your grace is enough. And Lord, I pray that each of us can grasp this. Your grace was enough, Lord, that Paul even said in the ending of our passage today that my weaknesses, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ God is enough, that Paul was willing to, submit, willing to endure the depth of his pain because of the grace of God. For when we are weak, then we are truly strong in ourselves, no, in the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for this hope and this promise. We thank you, God, today for your grace. Lord, we don't deserve it, God, but that doesn't matter. Because, Lord, we are worthy, Lord, in front of you because you are worthy. 
oh God, we don't need to fix, we don't need to uh, do work, Lord, that, is, that you say is left to you. God, it's your work in us. It's not my work in me. God, it's your work in this body of believers. It's not us scrambling as a church trying to do it right. No, Lord. It's your presence. It's your power. It's how you showed yourself today, Lord, in our worship service, God. As we sang, Lord, the words, as we heard your uh, word come from our member, Lord, of the body of Christ, God. This is, Lord, how we know, God. Lord, your grace is enough. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to truly believe that. Oh, God, I believe, Lord, it'll change the way we look at ourselves, each other, God, the world. It'll change the way we look at the enemy. It seems like he has so much power sometimes. Oh God, but how he is so powerless, Lord, in our lives. He is so powerless, Lord, in this world. God, if we have you in us, Lord, if we call on your name, you can call on the name of Jesus. They are weak, oh, the name, God, that is above all but names. He is Jesus, strong. we worship you, God. The name that carries all power, Jesus, thank you. God, you are enough, Jesus. Oh, we surrender to you, Jesus. Praise your name. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. The Bible tells me so. Hallelujah. We have to believe it. We have to put our faith. In the name, the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Continue to work on us, God. Lord, when we stumble, you pick us up. If we call on your name, you'll pick us up. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your never-ending mercies and grace. We praise the name weak, of the Lord. But he is strong. Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Praise you, Jesus. Yes. yes. Oh, that we believe these words. The Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for your love. Jesus loves me. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me. Oh, God, so. if we believe the words in your book of life, thank you, Jesus. Jesus loves Hallelujah. me. Hallelujah. We can't pick and choose. We can't pick and choose. We have to believe the words of Scripture, and it's 
in its entirety, in its totality for us. Thank you, Lord, for words of life. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go ahead and sing the chorus. Yes, Jesus loves me. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your promises, God. Your promises are to each and every one of us, God. Thank you, Lord, Hello? for that love that sacrificed on Calvary. Oh, Lord, that came down to live in us, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, that helps to perfect us, God, until the day we see you face to face. God, I pray each and every one of us, Lord, I want to see each of us there. In Jesus' name, we bless your name, God. Thank you, Lord. 